0: Things Unexplained, hosted by Doctor Mounts. Let's face it, we were
1: always ready to roll without him anyway.
2: <laughs> CJ Derringer.
3: Ain't nobody perfect, right?
2: And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly like my whole life. I
0: just freeball Featuring. Cajun man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody.
3: you unexplained ones out there. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you may be. If that's listening to us live on Facebook or checking us out on YouTube or listening to our podcast, we are so thankful to have you. This podcast is made possible by listeners and viewers like yourself. So if you wanted to support us, you could hop on over to buymeacoffee.com backslash unexplained. We are super excited to share that we have once again skyrocketed to the top of the science charts, the US science charts mm-hmm. for podcasts, making it to number 34. So thank you to everybody who has tuned in we've had some really popular episodes lately um additionally some more exciting news we've been nominated for a people's choice podcast award oh yeah i wish i could send everybody to go and vote but it doesn't work that way it's pretty much the academy awards of podcasting you have to be a podcaster so excited. to go ahead and vote so We're very, very honored to be nominated for that. We'll keep you guys posted uh, if we win or not. So again, thank you for tuning in. We're happy to have everybody. And we have a wonderful show for you today with a special guest. And I'm here with my co-hosts, Dr. Mounts and Smitty Neves. I'm CJ Derringer. And Smitty, share with us, who have we got today?
2: Oh, we are so honored and privileged today to have a man who is basically given his life to public service. Scott Lunsford is a retired police sergeant with Asheville, North Carolina. He has 33 years of public service as a detective and a supervisor. And now since he's retired, he works, uh, guarding our precious commodities, our children as a school resource officer. He is also a fellow podcaster. He has the felon file and he is an author who has written uh of several books uh, about six i believe but two that i believe our readers with our listeners would really be interested in is the bigfoot best friend and the alien abduction investigation these are from uh the gift the girls investigating fantastic things line but i believe his newest book is cop and coin so we want to welcome scott to the show Thank you. Yay. I
0: appreciate the opportunity to be here.
3: Man, with that kind of resume, Scott, how did you end up with the likes of us here?
0: <laughs> I answered the phone.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: that was your first mistake. He did. he
1: did answer the phone. Thanks for joining us, Scott. I tell you what, that was a, quite the, even the first conversation we had was just off the charts. So I have to well, tell Smitty and CJ, and I think I, I may have already mentioned this, that when I was talking to Scott, you know, I discovered that uh, he's up there around Asheville. And I had to say that now my tennis team has made the the state championships in Asheville. And I told him where I'm staying at over there in the, what's called the River Arts District. And Scott, he tells me like, yeah, I found a hand there one time.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, uh, I'm hoping so that was
3: part of your work and not just yes, um, yes, spontaneously. No, okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> wasn't a. Uh, we were actually looking. Actually, we weren't looking for a hand. We were looking for a head. So we were kind of surprised oh. to find a hand. So, well, but you never know until you look.
3: I'm not Thanks. gonna just. I'm never going to look anywhere unexpected ever again. <laughs> Well one. now I, f- I feel kind of obligated
1: <laughs> to look. I mean, I'm, I'm staying there. Yeah. I feel like I at least got to keep my eyes open, but Scott, did you say that, did y'all ever figure out where that hand came from?
0: Uh, yes, we had a, a homicide that, that occurred down there and, uh, on Riverside drive. And, and there's actually been several over the years going back to, you know, the 1920s and even before then, uh, Night, the 1800s, uh, a lot of stuff has happened down there. And I've, I've tried to cover some of those uh, strange investigations and strange court cases in my podcast. And uh, that's, but that particular one, we found the, uh, we found out who it belonged to. And uh, the uh, case went on and we investigated and I they made a, made a charge on it. I was just assisting the other detectives at the time. Well, I just happened to I, look down, and there it was. Yeah.
2: Wow, that's one thing I like about your podcast is you go back in the history of crime too, because it's it's changed so much. I mean, now I wouldn't say it's impossible to get away with murder, but I would say it would be a lot harder than it ever has been in the history of the world. Uh, wouldn't you? Would you
0: agree with that? Yes, the uh, the techniques, the tools, the technology, the methodology, the the concepts, the way people we do interviews now, uh, the way that we uh, investigate cases has really changed over the year. But some of it is just old fashioned asking questions. You never know until yeah. you ask.
1: I tell you, that was one thing that. That was I was taken aback by I was listening to the second episode of the Felon Files, and I believe it was a I believe it was a case from the 20s there in Asheville, and a wealthy lady was discovered in her garden, and I believe her throat had been slashed, and her skull had some injuries, and part of my takeaway from the episode was back in that time it seems like if if you were a woman you you were just kind of possibly out of luck in terms of a criminal investigation
0: <laughs> well it's interesting because the, the suspect in that particular case the murder on Monford was a lady was a woman uh, an older woman and uh, she was acquitted of it and was never tried and as several police officers with the city of Asheville at that time, there was a, they lost their jobs. There was a, like a big turnover and reformation all because of that particular investigation. And I think I've actually got, and I don't mean to brag or anything, but I think I figured out who did it. Really? Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah. Really? It, uh, connected to... Uh, possibly another homicide that occurred in Asheville and the uh, uh, a case that started in Asheville and ended in Morganton and a gentleman was uh, was hung for it uh, a mur- another murder of a young lady or of a young lady this time. Uh, got to wait for that podcast.
1: Oh, oh yeah well can, can you give her a synopsis on I believe they called her. The
0: the wealthy, Ms. what was her name, or the rich? The lady uh, that was killed, she was pretty well off, lived on Montford, which was a pretty well-off community in that area. Uh, a lot of very important people, very rich people lived there. There was a sanitarium there. A lot of people that were uh, dealing with the uh, TB and some of the other uh uh, illnesses of the day would come and stay there because of the uh, because of the supposed purity qualities of the air that Apple had which I find really interesting when you consider at that time period everybody burned coal and there are <laughs> talking about not being able to see uh, very far because of all the coal smoke in Asheville at that time frame but Uh, She was found dead; uh, her throat slit. And there was actually another homicide that had occurred about a month before that, where a young lady was uh, killed, and a pipe was left behind. Uh, The the first homicide, there was uh, a pipe left behind there. And talking about the way things are investigated one of the detectives got the bright idea to look for evidence by setting the garden and the field on fire and burning everything off, going back in. (sighs) Yeah. That sounds so bizarre to us today, but apparently it made sense to them at the time. And by doing that though, they did find a pipe that the woman had been struck with. And it was the crime scene was very similar to the other crime scene that happened about a block away.
3: Wow. Scott, where do you get to all of this information for all of these unsolved cases?
0: Well, the stuff locally, uh, a lot of that comes from old newspapers. I love old newspapers. And going through them and just looking and doing some research. A lot of the local stuff, though, I end up getting when I first started working for the Asheville Police Department uh, back in the late 80s. I got to meet some guys that work for the city that were like on the verge of retiring and they had some great stories to tell. And mm-hmm. I love to sit there and listen to them and, and, uh, they like to tell them. So I, I picked <laughs> up a lot of, a lot of information and a lot of things and using a lot of that, I wrote things down. I've, I've kept a journal my entire career. And I'm going back now through all my previous journals and pulling information up or little mentions of something. Then going back into the library and researching it, uh, looking at the old newspapers and uh, doing that. And I try to include a lot of that history in in my uh, fiction work too, uh, to try to make the fiction work a little more real. And you take a lot of real things that have happened and connect them together with with a little bit of fiction and you got a great conspiracy. Oh yeah. Do
2: you like to I mean do you have microfiche there where you go research? Uh
0: yes, I'm I'm fortunate that uh, the library both in Buncombe County and here in Madison County, I have access to that. Plus, uh, I also work part time as a campus police officer at Ashford Bunker Community College, and they have a good library there that has a lot of documentation and research material. And uh, with the internet like it is, you can look at a card catalog and find what you're looking for in a library in Australia. And contact with somebody and get them to send you the documents or uh, if it's a, a book possibly loan it to your library for you to check out and there's a lot of cool stuff out there like that. Another thing I'm looking at is a homicide of a police officer. I was looking at a homicide for a uh, police officer here and that happened in the town where my elementary school is and uh, the, I contacted several organizations and the North Carolina Archives actually found copies and sent me photograph copies, not photostats, photograph copies of the original court tr- transcripts and court trials. And it's got such it's a wealth of information out there. And, uh, of course, the FBI has got all kinds of cool stuff available. And it's interesting, a lot of cases back in the day, the FBI guys were actually involved with. And a lot of that information is available in public record now. And all you got to do is ask for it. Uh, My last uh, request to the FBI... They, they sent me two CDs jammed full of information, and uh, it's just fantastic. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to putting some of that to use in some fiction work I'm working on.
1: Hey, Unexplained Ones, this is Dutch Mouse. We would love for you to follow us and give us a five-star review. Check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. There you will find links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Buy Me a Coffee, and Patreon. This podcast is made possible with support from listeners like you. We are also brought to you by Coma Toast Tacos, home of Squatching.com, where you'll find my Bigfoot-themed children's books. We appreciate you. And now, back to Detective Scott Lunsford.
3: We clearly did not go the right route when we reached out to the FBI because we were denied <laughs> um, our last request. <laughs> well,
0: I'm looking at stuff from, uh, you know, before J Edgar Hoover was there, and yeah, uh, and it, it's stuff that has been actually been researched before by other people, and uh, okay, declassified, so, yeah, declassified, and uh, uh. Gaston Means is a North Carolina individual who, who was actually an FBI agent at one time. He was a Treasury Department agent one time. Was born uh, to a rich family in Morganton, North Carolina, and uh, oh, he was one heck of a con man. Oh my goodness, he's done so much. He convinced the United, he convinced almost the entire United States that the president was had been murdered. And that he um, really? he knew who did it. Yeah, that his wife had killed him, and he sold a bunch of copies of this book that he did. He dictated to a lady who uh, was uh, uh, that published the book under his name, that wrote it, and she didn't get a cent out of it. He got all this money out of it. Uh, he actually, during World War One, a spy for the Germans. When he oh, no. for uh, a private investigation firm in New York, uh, he's a. They sent me a ton of stuff on him because I don't think they liked him because he was one of theirs at one time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny that CJ should bring that up because this is breaking news. I haven't told them this yet, but uh, obviously my previous our previous request for the show have been denied. So today, I got an interesting letter from the State of California Department of Justice. Smitty and CJ have not heard anything about this. I said, oh, this is interesting. And then it hit me. I knew knew what this was about. So specifically from the Bureau of Forensic Services. Now, I had filed a public records request on a case from the 70s. That had happened in Hollywood, and I honestly I kind of expected to get a a file box full of material. I mean, I requested basically you know all the information, but specifically a lot of different documents, right? And I got two pages here, actually three pages from the Bureau of Forensic Services on why that. Is- request has been denied.
3: <laughs> <Again>. Really? What? <laughs> yeah.
1: That's <laughs> yeah, all right. The CJ and haven't heard this. So, for example, example I requested uh, toxicology reports, autopsy reports, um, case encounter forms, release of the body paperwork, copy of the death certificate. I mean, you name it. I requested um, probably 30 different things. Basically, anything you could think of that was a traditional part of a case. It it was a uh, suicide. It was ruled a suicide, ultimately. But they just, they wouldn't send me anything.
2: Denied again, huh? Hmm.
0: Denied again, so. I sent uh, the State Bureau of Investigation a request uh, and on the forms and everything uh, on a missing person case of a military gentleman that disappeared during World War II uh, on his way to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and I know th- the FBI investigated as well, and they sent me their information. Today, it must be the day for getting turned down or something. I don't know, <laughs> oh. but uh, uh, maybe they have a chart they go down. Well, let we got to deny all these guys. But uh, I got denied <laughs> from the this, uh, the State Bureau of Investigation. They kind of sent me a nasty gram saying that we can't release anything on open investigations and so on and so forth. And it's really An interesting. Open
3: investigation these- from World War two.
0: Exactly. And the, some wow. of the information I got from the FBI was North Carolina SBI uh, statements and stuff that they had done. Yeah. So apparently the fbi or the sbi thinks more highly of their uh their files than the fbi does or the fbi is just a little more transparent believe it or not it's easy to say no right
1: oh yeah and you know detective monster and i actually talked about this on the phone it's so funny that that was during world war ii in connection with fort bragg but you know and i'm sure cj she lives in north carolina has for a little while now there are so many mysterious incidents that take place at fort bragg not sure i should say this on the air but i think everybody kind of knows it and even just this past week scott i'm sure you saw there was yet another another murder
0: yes i I did and that happened in the barracks didn't it
1: that that's right in the barracks i mean what what does it that seems like it would practically be impossible
0: Oh, I don't think so. Things have been been happening in the military, well, since the military started. You know, the Roman legion—I'm sure—got a couple of guys knifed while they were sleeping. But, um, oh, yeah. but Fort Bragg seems to be a. There's quite a lot if you just go back and look at it. Of course, we can't fr- forget. Uh, uh, The good doctor uh, and his killing of the family, of his entire family, uh, that uh, Fatal Vision was written about. Oh, yeah.
2: Right. I watched that movie a long time ago when it was, uh, who was starring in that?
1: Was it Michael Douglas? No. uh -uh.
2: No, it it was the guy off of uh, Office Space, the boss off Office Space. I can't think of his name. I'm going to look it up
3: now when something like that happens in the military on a military base is there a different protocol for how things are tried isn't it i I feel like it's a whole different ball game right
0: uh yes as a matter of fact and it's it's interesting that particular case was uh, looked at and ended up being tried in, in civilian in north carolina court and there are several cases where Individuals have been tried and found not guilty in civilian court and the military court is just a total, total different ball game, different jurisdiction. And they've be, and they were, they found themselves tried again. One gentleman that I did a podcast on, by the way, uh, he had actually gotten out of the military and the military went and recalled him they sent uh uh they sent uh, MPs to his house and told him you have been reinstated you're under arrest and hauled him off and tried him in uh, military court and was found oh guilty of homicide yeah is that double jeopardy that was the perspective i was trying to bring with my uh uh with my podcast can we try somebody twice for murder right for the what, same crime yeah. right that's it
3: that was one of my favorite movies by the way <laughs> double jeopardy.
0: well in north carolina no. we also have the record for uh executing somebody twice
1: what oh yeah
0: yes uh, there yeah, was a young a young gentleman uh was hooked up to the uh uh, was electrocuted. He was found guilty, and he was found guilty. It supposedly he committed the crime when he was 15 years old, uh, the crime of kill of uh, uh, of rape. And at that time, rape was considered a capital offense, and he was found uh, found guilty and ordered to be executed. And they, that the state, it wasn't North Carolina, is what state was that? Uh, anyway, they had a traveling execution chair, a traveling electric chair, and they hooked him up to that. And the, apparently, the guys that were doing the uh, wiring for the temporary position of the chair did not do a good job of wiring, and the poor kid lived through. The uh, the execution uh, attempt, and then a week later, or some day later, they electrocuted him again. Even though oh they God. had a state court or state courts and federal courts to say, you know, at least give this young man life in prison. He's we've tried and failed to electrocute him, and that was when the electrocution uh by electrocution but was fairly new and they electrocuted the man again the young man again when he was 16. uh it hooked that time he was later right. he was later uh, uh given a reprieve he was pardoned and a po- and the governor apologized to him but that didn't oh. happen until like the 90s 1990s yeah so, so good. it didn't, didn't do him a, Did him a lot of good no it didn't
1: yeah that just seems wrong no. right there
0: I found out it was
2: Gary Cole mm-hmm. who was in that movie he played jo- Dr. Jeffrey McDonald that's right and I, I I've, Donald, been looked yes. at that. I've looked at that case many a times uh, I'm a big true crime fanatic like I said I, want, I grew up wanting to be a police officer and actually uh, tinkered around with the FBI thinking of going at some point in time then some things happened in my life, and I had to stay I felt like I needed to stay in this area toward my family, but I've always been interested in those things and that was a very interesting case I thought because uh it seemed like he was so guilty, but it seems like there's some stuff now that's coming out that's showing that maybe he's not as guilty as they assumed. Have you seen anything new about that
0: yeah i I've seen some some uh some of the documentation but uh i i still think he's guilty of sin and uh, when he passes he's going to burn in that special place uh <laughs> that is set up for individuals like that a I think uh, he's
2: guilty too but uh, you know that that new uh documentary that shed some different
0: light on it but i still yes. think he's guilty it shows a different perspective yeah. and Really and truly, if some of that had come out at the time, he might have he might have gotten off with it, and I got no problem with that because yeah, yeah,
2: I think it would have gave some reasonable
0: doubt. He could have gotten off on the, the charges, and uh, I'm like I said, I'm for that because. <sighs> taking a person's life away either physically or locking them away from society is very serious and we have to err on the side of caution if we think there's a possibility they did not do it right but i think he did it
2: i'm in agreement there of all the things (laughs) i've read and watched and and studied about him i'm pretty sure he's guilty Uh, you know i don't think i would have had too much of a uh, conflict of saying guilty if I'd been serving on that jury and Scott we
1: have a listener question if that's okay so long-time listener George Winters wants to know who decides what and when information about a criminal investigation is released George must have heard our conversation
2: earlier it's a great question George
0: yeah yes it is and it it actually uh can vary a lot of times the information about a case that's being investigated at the time that is kept by the police department or the investigating agency they don't want to release information that is going to tip somebody off but they want to get information enough information out there so that if somebody knows something that's going to help with either the investigation or the prosecution of of the defendant they want that person to to maybe the information that's released will click with them and it's oh i remember i was driving down the road when that happened and there was a guy walking down the street that was wearing a white t-shirt and he had just looked like he just got out of a blue car and that can send the investigation in an entirely different uh direction Uh, now when it goes to court and we're prosecuting the case, anything released, that comes from the district attorney's office. Once the person has been, at least I'm speaking for North Carolina and based on my past experience, those that information comes from the district attorney's office, state prosecutors. And I'll, if it's still an open case, uh, North Carolina law says that uh, we don't have to release it if it would possibly jeopardize uh, the investigation. And newspapers have taken law enforcement agencies to court over that, wanting to get transcripts of interviews or, or what have you. And it ended up a lot of times becoming the uh, decision of a judge who will read the information and the judge or judges will make a determination that this should be released or this shouldn't be released uh perhaps maybe that the uh, witness names might be redacted uh, or addresses might be redacted in the uh, in the file that and information that's released to protect individuals so it's kind of a thin Narrow tightrope that you have to walk. Uh, the investigation and justice versus the community and the uh, public's right to know what the heck's going on in their community. Next time on All Things Unexplained.
1: And you know, Scott, one interesting thing that's happened since COVID became a thing is apparently there's been a whole new onslaught of what you might call citizen sleuths. And I think that they've really- <laughs> Tim's
3: talking about himself. Right, <laughs> no, it's true, right?
0: Well, I, I had a captain who was, got me aside one one day and it says i want you to go talk to this person uh they think they have information on the case i was not assigned to that case the other detective there the, the general assignment of detectives were working in. and but i he asked me to go talk to this this person because he didn't think well nobody else basically like he said wanted to do it because she thought she was a psychic and the captain told me says, i did not he said he did not want to be a person that went back to a family and told them that a lead was not checked out that turned out to be true, because all because it supposedly came from some mystic place or some uh, ESP connection or whatever, however he described it. He said, in my cases, meaning what he was overseeing us, everything was going to be checked out and everything was going to be documented. So I went out and spoke to the psychic lady and uh, wrote up my report and my documentation and uh, it became part of the case file. This has been All Things Unexplained.
3: You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about our show, you can visit us at www.allthingsunexplained.com And if you'd like to support our show, please do visit buymeacoffee.com backslash unexplained. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man that wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he has a lot of hats, Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.